Well, are we all feeling very Christmassy? Yep, did that verse help this morning? Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Okay, so I'll admit it's, it's not the most festive of openings, but, but what I want to do this morning is to look through this passage and see that, that this is exactly what we need to hear. Because what it does is it tells us the kind of God that we worship. It lets us see the, the character of the God who comes for us. We don't want to be here this Christmas blinded by the expectations of the world or being like Herod and, and miss the true king because of our pride. We don't be like those people in Bethlehem who, who saw the baby in the street and thought, isn't he nice and just walked on by? We want to know the, the real Jesus. We want to know who is in that manger. What kind of a God is he? Because that's all that really matters at the end of the day. So in the context of this passage, Jeremiah has given us a, a critique of the kings at the time. So they were supposed to be taking care of God's people, but, but instead they were busy making names for themselves, shedding innocent blood, and, and stealing God's glory. And so at the end of this section, our reading this morning, we get God's response to this war on his people. And what we see is that God brings peace. Read through the Old Testament, and you'll see that there is this thread running through it of the, of the shalom, the, the peace that we get in the garden. Throughout the scriptures, we see that the, the mankind has this problem of, of sin, the, the problem that leads to, to violence and, and strife and death, this enemy that keeps us in slavery to the world and at war with God. And as we read through the scriptures, we meet each new hero of the faith, each new baby in the line of promise. We are asking, is this him? Is this the one? Will this child save us? Noah pleases God. Will it be him? No. Abraham shows faith. Will it be him? No. Jacob, Moses, Joseph, Joshua, Samuel, David. No, no, no. All of them point to something greater that we are waiting for, but but none of them live the holy life that we need. Each of them fail in the commission that God gives them. None of them bring the ultimate peace between God and man. And, and if we're honest, that's a peace that we all crave. Even if you aren't a Christian here today, you're going to be trusting in, in something to bring you peace, whether that's career or family or money or status or looks. And for us Christians, we, we know that there's always something going on in our lives that makes us feel at, at war and, and craving just a bit of peace. We all know that we need help. The question is, where is that help going to come from? And so we need to look carefully at this manger and ask the all-important question, this Jesus that we see, will he bring us peace? That's our, our big question, and we're going to try and answer it by looking at God's character and how he claims to bring peace here. First, we're going to see in verses 1 and 2 how he does that through retribution, then in verses 3 and 4 through restoration, and then finally in verses 5 and 6 through righteousness. 
So that's peace through retribution, peace through restoration, and peace through righteousness. Let's, let's dive in. Look with me to verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. So the first thing that we have to note here is that the sheep belong to God. The shepherds are the, the kings who have been ruling unfaithfully, and they, they're probably thinking of the people as theirs, as, as their people, as, as their subjects. But what we see right away is that the people belong to God. And for his people, God has this righteous anger, this holy jealousy that means that he doesn't just sit back and allow his people to be driven away from him. He proclaims judgment on those who are scattering his flock. So just, just look at the imagery that you get in these verses. It's, it's of someone driving the flock away from where they are supposed to be, of, of hurting them, of, of lashing out and making them seek shelter somewhere else. Think about it. They, they are God's people in God's land, and God has said that his presence is in the temple, and they can come before him there. And yet what is happening is that the leaders are acting in such a way that the people who are supposed to seek shelter in the arms of the Lord are running to the hills. They, they have been fooled, forced to look for safety elsewhere. The bad shepherds have, have taken the holy things of God and have obscured them so that people can't see the only way to the thing that matters. Just like later when, when Jesus clears the temple where he, he takes a whip and drives out the, the money lenders and the sellers who'd obscured the house of prayer through their, through their greed. Here we see that God fights for his people. He doesn't leave us to the slavery of sin, but, but, he, but he enters the battle and he is, as verse 2 says there, bestows punishment for evil. And if you're wondering what, what all this has to do with a baby in a manger, well, well don't let the, the cute Christmas cards fool you. Because the baby we see lying there in the straw is God's declaration of war. This is him entering the fight. You see, we are like the sheep in this verse, the sheep that Jesus looked at as scattered and, and helpless, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We've been so infected by sin that we, we can't see the only path to peace. We have been beaten and, and scarred so badly by this world that so often we've just scattered and run to the hills, run to take shelter in anything that claims can give us a bit of peace. Well, that's career if we can only get the next pay rise or, or the title and the respect that comes with it, then, then we'll have peace. Or maybe it's the right partner and we think that if we can only find the, that girl or that guy, then they will take care of us and, and stop us feeling so scared all the time. Or even if it's drink or, or drugs or social media, escaping this world by, by numbing our pain and hoping against hope that it will be enough to keep the ache away. For all of us, Sin and its consequences has come in like a wolf among sheep and scattered us from the place where we should be. And in our desperation, we grab onto anything that promises to overcome that fear, even when those promises appear to be just as solid as dust. They never satisfy us. They never bring us true and lasting peace. 
But by entering into creation, Jesus comes to proclaim the truth, to be our perfect prophet, shining a light on the lies of this world. He calls to us from all those places we have been scattered and tells us to come home. But more, he walks up to that wolf that was terrorizing us, that serpent that drew us away, and he kills it. I was a, a very angry teenager. Um, I did a lot of things that I'm ashamed of now. There was this anger in me that I just couldn't control. I wanted to be good. I wanted to follow God, but, but this anger, it just, it just stopped me. But when Jesus called me, when he saved me, it was like he came and he killed that beast. He freed me from that anger. Now, all of us will have our own trials, and I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that just accepting Jesus means that you won't be addicted to drugs or porn or whatever it is that is holding you captive. But what I am saying is that Jesus has proclaimed judgment on whatever that is that is stopping you coming to him. That in the end, it doesn't control you. It can't hold you forever. There will be a day that comes, whether that's here or in glory, but there will be a day that comes when Jesus will destroy that thing in your heart that you hate that thing that has made you chase peace in, in, in all the wrong places. The cry of the baby in the manger, it's, it's not just a sore tummy. It's a battle cry that means the end of all our sin. Whatever is blocking you from coming to him this, this Christmas, know that, that God fights for his people and he will win. He will bring you peace through destroying sin and death. He has declared it. And so rejoice, brothers and sisters, and trust that whatever you're going through right now, peace is coming. These verses show us that God is the kind of God who will bring us peace through retribution, not on you, but on the evil that has held you captive. That's verses one and two, but... But there's more. Look with me to verse 3 and peace through restoration. Now, there's so much to get through here. I'll try not to get overexcited. Um, I'm going to suggest here that what we have in verses 3 and 4 is a kind of literary technique that, that serves to highlight God's actions. So if you look there at the start of verse 3 and the end of verse 4, what we see here is, is God gathering his flock together and a promise that there will be no longer any missing. And hopefully, if you're like me, doesn't that just remind you of Jesus' parable about the lost sheep? How God goes out after the one lost sheep, gathers it in his arms, and brings it back to the 99 others already safe in the fold. And that tells us that, that God is a God who seeks and saves the lost. None of us made a good choice to follow God. None of us can boast that we judged God to be worthy and, and followed him. Because it was when we were sinners, dead in our sins, unable to look for him, when we were busy rejecting him and stuck in our own guilt, it was then that this good shepherd came to find us. He, he called us by name. He, he rescued us. He gave us faith to look to him. He ministers to us out of grace. 
not because any of us deserve it. And so he brings peace out of our chaos. Look back to verses 3 and 4. So one step in on each side of that gathering and keeping, we we see a restoration of of where they were. So if you look there, they're they're back in their pasture. And the start of verse 4, he places new and better shepherds over them who will tend to them rather than drive them away. So what we see is that he isn't just concerned to, to save us and then leave us to it like we just get loads of second chances. He, he puts in place things to tend to us, to, to care for us, to, to help us flourish. And what that means for us is that, that he wants us to grow, to change, to, to go deeper in our faith, and he has given us the means to do that. Through the, the church, through the word, we get a way to grow in our faith and our confidence in the Lord. God desires a relationship with you. He, he wants you to flourish. And he continues to minister to us. He's doing it this morning. He continues to work in us to bring us a greater and greater peace in him. But if you're looking carefully, you'll notice there's a, there's a center to this picture as well. A clause at the end of verse 3 where we see that What will happen to them under this restored care? They will be fruitful and increase in number. They will be fruitful, and it's the same word, and multiply. And that should bring us right back to the garden, to Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day, of of living in a place where sin does not touch us, where we can rest in the presence and peace of God without anything separating us. That is the restoration that God is bringing. And he began it through coming as a baby. He began it by coming into this world to remove the stain of sin so that we can walk into the holy city, into the presence of God without spot or blemish. When Jesus came, he came as our perfect high priest, not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came to minister to us, to you and me, the people who need it. He came to wipe away our sins that we could have a relationship with God, the one that we were made for. Our God doesn't look at us and despise our weakness. He doesn't deliver an ultimatum to to clean yourself up and then we'll make peace. No, he, he comes and restores us so that we can have peace with God. He he grants us grace because that's the kind of God that he is able to bring peace, willing to bring peace. And so because of that, because that is the kind of God that he is, then we have to remember that it's not the scars on your arms that define you, but it's the nails in his hands. It's not the life that you have led that matters, but the one that he did. It's not your strength or or goodness or righteousness. It's it's his. It's all his. And, And through the cross, through his work as our great high priest, he gives that to us. He clothes us in his robes. So you might look down at yourself and see failure and brokenness and pain but know that God looks down at you 
and sees his child. Seeing Jesus as our priest isn't some lofty academic concept. It's knowing that he ministers to us, that he tends to his flock. He has left the 99 to find you. And when you couldn't do anything for yourself, he brought you back into the fold. He made you lie down in green pastures, restored you to the future hope of a relationship with him untouched by sin. God brings peace to his people by how he ministers to them, by giving us the word to read, by giving us the church to come and be built up in faith. That's all of grace. None of it is deserved. Maybe you feel like you need to be restored this Christmas. Well, these verses show us that that God is the kind of God who brings peace through restoration, who will give us rest and assurance and confidence in the face of all that this world has to throw at us. He brings peace by making us who we were always meant to be. That's peace through entering the fight, peace through bringing us close. Let's move on to verses five and six and see how God brings peace through righteousness. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Okay, so hopefully we recognize this as messianic language. This is God telling his people that the the seed of the woman promised in Genesis, who would crush the head of the seed of the serpent, that the king who is going to bring about peace between God and man and usher in this shalom that we were all made for. The one about who all the Bible has been pointing to. This king is coming. And unlike the kings of the day, he will be a king after God's own heart, a perfect king who will rule wisely and justly. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So his reign will be the opposite of being driven away from God's blessing. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. At Christmas, we're all on our best behavior, right? Whether we're just doing it for the presents or because it just sort of feels right at this time of year or or maybe just trying to get through the family gatherings. We're all trying to get on the nice list. But the issue is that to be at peace with God, we don't just need to get on the nice list. We need to get on the, on the holy list, the, the perfect list, the never having done a single thing wrong list. Because it's only when we are holy that we can join with a holy God. It's only when we are completely righteous that there can be peace that we were made for. And what we see in these verses is that in his coming, God brings that righteousness that we so badly need. We don't have it. We don't earn it. We don't learn to perfect it. We simply receive it so that whilst we were still sinners, God covers us in his goodness and so counts us as if we were perfect. Throughout the Old Testament, there's a theme that as the king goes, so do the people. So when we have bad kings, we see the people turn away from God and we we have better kings and they move closer to him. But even with the good kings, they always fall short. But but here, the king that is coming is Christ himself, God with us. 
And so what this tells us is that when we bend the knee and, and come under King Jesus, we come into the kingdom of God. No longer strangers and exiles, but, but ones who have been brought home. And when we live under the king, when we conform our lives to the king, then we will increasingly see his rule as our lives change to reflect more and more of him. Just look at the gospels. The, the tax collectors meet Jesus, follow Jesus, and in place of greed, we see joyous generosity. The prostitutes come to him in repentance, and in place of uncleanness, we see forgiveness. That's the evidence of moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Not mere moral choices, but acts of worship. And as we do that, then our actions and our habits bring us into step with the Spirit. And where before our actions brought us strife, now they bring us peace. And maybe that will look utterly different from the world or from our past lives. Maybe it won't make sense to the people. But it will bring us peace that overcomes all of that. That's why our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church keep sneaking into church to worship. Why they put up with their, the abuse that they receive. Because they have something far greater than what this world has to offer. Like Daniel's friends in front of the fiery furnace, they, they're content knowing that it is better to follow their king and that they will not serve this world anymore. Maybe you're struggling today or this week to give Jesus control in some area of your life. Maybe it's in how you use money or who you date or what you do for work or, or who you associate with. But the story of our lives is that we had peace, then we rejected God's kingship and we went our own way and so we lost it. But rather than just leave us into our own stupidity, Jesus came as king to rule in our hearts again. So don't look at that baby in a manger, the one who received gold from the wise men and think that he's just not relevant to some parts of your life. Be like those who saw him as king and fell down and worshipped him. At Christmas we conform to tradition, to social expectations, but if we want peace, then we need to conform to Jesus, to see him as king and follow him with all that we are. God brings peace by ruling in our lives and by guiding our steps so that we can know him more and more. He, he covers us in his righteousness and has us walk in his righteousness so that we can know peace. I know that there are people here with us today that are going through some really difficult times, through sleepless nights and, and family strife, through sickness and, and grief and loneliness and self-harm and addiction and, and just so many other things. And nothing that I can say, no self-help guide, no strategy is going to bring them any kind of comfort. The only thing that is going to calm the raging storm is the one who speaks peace. <clears throat> the one who brings good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted. 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. And so in the busyness of Christmas, in the mad rush to buy presents and get the house ready and whatever else you do, don't forget to come to the manger and to look and see that there is a way to peace. Don't forget to see Jesus for who he is, our great prophet, priest, and king who calls us home, who ministers to us, and who rules in our hearts, the one who doesn't fail in his commission, who actually brings peace between God and man. Look and see that this is the God who is able to bring peace because he is the only one who can defeat sin and death, the only one who can bring us peace that we are made for, the only one who, can lead, who leads us on paths of righteousness. Look up and see that this is Jesus, King of glory, Prince of peace and Lord of all. Not some nice baby in a manger that should give us warm, fuzzy feelings, but the answer to our deepest problem, that the hope of the world Look inward and see that this is Jesus, the one who makes our hearts sing, who leads us to rejoice that he is with us.